Hello everyone and welcome to episode four of Advice Around the World. We're Ian Horn and Amelia Garland from CityWire and we're here to talk about the stories, quirks and pioneers that make financial planning what it is. And this week we take the podcast to Hong Kong for a chat with Simon Parfit of Piermont Wealth. Simon is one of a handful of fee-based financial planners in Hong Kong and reached out to us after listening to our opening episode with Sam Instone, where we discussed James Blunt and being the Queen's bodyguard, among other things. So Simon and I had a chat about a week ago. Uh, It turns out the Hong Kong advice market is quite interesting, actually. And we're going to talk a little about life-centered financial planning, amongst other things, as well as what the situation is in Hong Kong. So I'll get into that shortly. But first, Simon Parfitt's. Welcome to Advice Around the World. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Unfortunately, I haven't got any interesting tales like Sam did. You've got to give us something, <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> you have a, a ridiculous ability to uh, remember trivial details. I mean, this week I accosted someone in a lift that I recognised that I'd met in 2014. And I think reminding him that I uh, uh, knew him um, scared him somewhat. So yeah, <laughs> if I could monetize it, I'd be wealthy, but it's of no practical use whatsoever. <laughs> you Memory. might be used to a pub quiz at least. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so yeah, so besides your incredible memory skills, it seems, do you, if you're at a dinner party and the person next to you has asked you to tell us something interesting about yourself, something that we wouldn't know, what is, what is your answer? Well, I think people might think I'm quirky because almost everything that somebody talks to me about, I managed to turn into a documentary that I've watched in, um, somewhere along the way. So uh, yeah, I think that's probably quirky in itself. Also, who's your favourite documentary kind of maker then? Well, I like uh, I'm I, you know I'm a fan of Louis Theroux, but um, mm. but really I like podca- I like uh, documentaries on any- on anything anything which um, I can just sit there and absorb new information. Yeah, it's serious ones because I'll admit I, I was really into Tiger King when that came out. Um, <laughs> as mad as it was, um, <laughs> you know what? What kind it's of ones do you like? States. Well, I think my favourite one I watched recently was called Operation Odessa, about a former Russian uh, uh, mob enforcer who opened a strip club in Miami and ends up going into business with a uh, a guy that su- um, supplies boats to the Colombian drug cartel, and it's all about them acquiring a nuclear sub from Russia for the uh, Cali cartel. So, yeah, <laughs> wow. it's a bit of a bit of a mad story, that one. Wow. Okay, yeah, I would actually watch that. Yeah, uh, it's good. <laughs> that sounds both, pretty good. You got us both hooked. <laughs> yeah, I was worried you're going to be too highbrow for me there, but um, but no, we're good. I can do that. Yeah. Um, so, Simon, anyway, um, tell us more about financial planning in Hong Kong, because, you know, what I found fascinating from our last chat that we had um, was the role of regulation. You were saying that advisors in Hong Kong uh, are mostly covered by just the insurance regulator, um, you know, rather than anything else. So, so what's the deal with that? And what does it actually mean for financial planning? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Hong Kong is quite a fragmented market. It is dominated by insurance-based companies. I mean, I think at the last count, there were 110 or so thousand insurance agents working for the likes of Prudential and AIA. Uh, and, and really, in the local market, fee-based advice or proper financial planning just hasn't caught on. So there's a handful of us, I guess, pioneering and trying to bring a, a better model of advice to the, to the market. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the deal with the current situation? Are people basically able to get out of delivering proper financial planning? Is it, is it kind of a loophole? Well, 
I think in 2015 was when they banned indemnified commission on, you know, unit linked insurance products. And up to that point, it has always been this incredibly commission focused market. And when the rules changed, in reality, the insurers changed the types of products. And in the local market in particular, that sort of style of business has just continued. I think in our market, which is more focused on the expats and international workers, it's starting to evolve and more people are trying to do proper financial planning. But we're still one of just of a, a handful. Yeah, so so it was kind of like what Sam was telling us in episode one about Dubai. Um, mm. Sam Instone, that is just to recap. Um, yeah, are they basically most advisors out there, salespeople, really? I think, well, in the local market, and I, I hate to keep sort of drawing this comparison, but it is quite fragmented between those that focus on the local market and those that focus on the sort of the international market. Um, mm. By that, I mean expats living in, in, in Hong Kong. So yes, I think in the local market, there is a real focus on things like million dollar round table, you know, selling mm. the insurance products to get the commission to get those other sorts of, uh, of, of accolades. And even mm. in the expat market, it's definitely more transactional than I think it should be. Um, yeah, n- n- not enough people doing it, delivering the right type of advice. Mm-hmm. And how can people in Hong Kong avoid an advisor who's not offering proper financial planning? Well, I think that's very difficult, actually, because just by designation alone, you can't actually tell what licenses somebody has or what style of advice they're going to give you. So I think in reality it is about doing a bit of research, looking at the websites of the firms that you are, um, you know, that you're inquiring about and just trying to get a better feel for it. Because I think often it's quite transparent on the websites and the information that's put out there as to the type of advice that you're going to be getting. Yeah, and you mentioned websites. Are there directories or anything like that people can use? You know, in the UK, we've got unbiased, vouched for, advisor book, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything people can use? No, unfortunately not. There's a regulatory register which just shows or enables consumers to to check that the people they're dealing with are regulated, both individuals and the firms that they're dealing with. But no real form of, yeah, nothing nothing like uh, um, unbiased or vouched for or or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So another thing we want to look into is this fly to buy tourism, where Chinese tourists are routinely flown over to Hong Kong to buy insurance products, which I find absolutely fascinating. So can you explain a bit more and, and what's, what's the current situation with that? Well, I was going to say fly to buy was very popular until a few months ago, and now that's obviously been quashed with people's inability to come to Hong Kong. But really, fly to buy is exactly that. It is people that are being that are coming from it is from China mainly, but also mm-hmm. Taiwanese and Japanese clients. And they are coming to Hong Kong to buy predominantly universal life policies, um, both as a means from, you know, maybe the wrong way of looking at it, but for getting money out of China or maybe out of some other places. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a huge, huge industry. And I think when um, uh, Union Pay announced that they were going to stop consumers being able to use the swipe payments to, to buy these products, AIA share price, price dropped quite significantly, maybe as much as I think it was 6% on that announcement alone. So you can see sort of how valuable the flight to buy market is to um, those sorts of transactional insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess another thing, of course, is the political situation is obviously not great right now in Hong Kong. How has that impacted everything that's going on? 
I think, you know, before Christmas, we had a round of protests and I don't think we need to get into the protests yeah. themselves. Uh, then, unfortunately, you know, COVID came and, and now we're experiencing another raft of, of process, uh, protests. I think from in terms of giving advice, it hasn't thus far been impacted too badly. You know, maybe we have adapted how we're giving advice. We're certainly doing more meetings via, via Zoom. But I don't yet think we're seeing big outflows from Hong Kong. I mean, in fact, there was a, a comment just before Christmas where some of the Singaporean private banks were talking about the amount of flow, uh, the amount of money that was coming out of Hong Kong into their banks. And actually the MAS, the regulator in Singapore, told them not to you know, overstate the truth on that point. So yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to, to tell, but I don't really think we're seeing uh, a big impact in the advice space, uh, not yet anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just want to go back to the fly to buy thing again, because purely because it intrigues me. Like, are people just using annual leave to, to, to basically fly over and buy insurance? Is that what's going on? Well, anecdotally, one of the funniest ones I heard was a chap that came down and bought a policy of, I think it, the premium was about 10 million US dollars. And I think the maximum swipe that he could do on his union pay card was round about say 5,000 US dollars and him and his wife were there she was video cameraing it and he was there having the best day out he's ever had swiping his card repeatedly so to back to pay for the premium on this policy so it really is quite a strange um, quite a strange market but really quite yeah. profitable for the for the insurance companies absolutely yeah I don't think I'll be taking an insurance holiday anytime soon myself but uh, <laughs> that is interesting <laughs> Well, well, I think to a certain extent as well, that's one of the reasons why the regulation isn't evolving as quickly as in other markets, because the insurance businesses are incredibly, um, you know, profitable and incredibly valuable to the economy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said that there's 100,000 insurance agents, Well, they're just the people selling the policies. If you think how many people are then in the support, the support roles, the administrative roles, how many people are built around that business? If the regulator said, well, you know, we're going to ban commissions, it would have a devastating effect on that bit of the market and um, yeah I think it would have quite sort of severe consequences so whilst I hope it will catch up I think in reality we're some some years away from that. Yeah Um, and of course let's look at the flip side of this because uh, obviously there's advice that's you know we can can dwell on advice not being great at times or markets being a bit well leaning towards uh, commission-based products etc etc but Obviously, you are interested in life-centered financial planning. Um, you've created your, uh, you know, life plan. Um, is life plan a book, or is it a, a kind of a, a policy or an idea? What what is it exactly? So, so it's a life plan is an advice process. Um, and really a process that was designed to try and bring proper value to clients and to provide them with objective financial planning advice that I don't think a lot of the market was actually uh, getting otherwise. And what about with you know, clients responding to this, this coaching? I think on the whole, the, the, the response has been great because the point of life-centered financial planning is to put the client's life at the center of all discussions. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes um, advisors can fall into the trap of starting with a product and trying to reverse engineer how to sell somebody that product. But from the first time I meet somebody, how do I know if they even need a solution? Maybe they've already got things. And actually it's about trying to give them some context and some clarity of what their future um, financial position might look like. It's about helping them to understand how they can make important 
decisions where there is a financial um, implication to the decision that they're making. And I think importantly, it's about just getting that a little bit deeper into what money means for them and 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 and, and what they. Um, what their experiences of money have been and how they might like to, um, to, to live with money in their life. So it, it's quite a unique way, I think, of delivering financial planning. And, and what do you think is the best way to kind of ascertain what someone's relationship with their money actually is? You know, what are the best questions to ask? So I think as adults, how we behave with money often stems from how we were treated with money as children or the lessons that we learnt about money when we were kids. And so really it's about asking people, you know, what is your earliest experience of money? Or what was the lesson that you taught, uh, you were taught about money? I think for some people that might be um, remembering something, an experience where they saw their parents not having a lot of money and they wouldn't want to put their family in that same position or it might be something simple like being given money to buy uh, a toy or a video game and, and and then it's about you know the feeling that that gave them it's just interesting under, understanding um, what people feel about money because invariably that will come out at some point in time in the future and that's crucial to making sure or at least trying to help people to stick to um, any financial plan that you might put in place. I find it so interesting too on the concept of money because so many people are uncomfortable about talking about it, even from a young age. And um, I think that's a big issue in the States is that people don't necessarily you know, know how to have a conversation and therefore they don't have the chance to figure out how to you know, save their money, how to invest their money. It's, it's just, I think it's, it's changing and millennials now are learning more and more about it. But in the growing up for me too, like it was something we just didn't really talk about um, in my family. So when I got into finance, now I'm fascinated with it and have learned so much about investing and, and all that. But it's, I think that's a great point to bring up. It's definitely taught from when you're a child to, to how you grow up. Yeah, I mean, let me jump on that quickly, Simon, as well. Um, because what, what should we teach our kids about money to make yeah. sure they don't come up, you know, have the wrong ideas when they're adults? I think it's just, you know, simple lessons about the value of money and even the concept of money. You know, that if you're going to a shop, them understanding that there is an exchange, understanding that, um, uh, you know, that things just don't appear from somewhere. And actually, maybe there's a choice to be made. You know, if you've got an amount of money, you can either spend it on this or you can spend it on that. And, that if, you know, if you choose one thing, well, you can't have the other. And, and I just think, you know, involving children in some of those transactions mm -hmm. is just a simple way of them starting to visualize it and understanding um you know how money actually works so should you give your children an allowance i'll get controversial get some parents in a bit of trouble here <laughs> well you know hong kong's a funny place you know we've got some very wealthy families and then some incredibly rich kids that have um that you know might actually be quite affected by how they've been treated with money because they have no concept of of of, of value but of course there's people that are very wealthy that have instilled you know good lessons in their in in, in their kids so i think like with anything it's just about balance you know should it be um, you know, you've got to work for your, you, you know, for every penny that you're going to receive. Well, no, probably not, because actually that can manifest itself with something like inheritance, for example. 
um, that they don't know what to do with it. They can't physically receive it because they've been taught that mm -hmm. um, they've got to earn every every penny um, that's coming to them. And of course, on the other side of that, if you give something to somebody too freely, well, that can also have its negative uh, um, you know, connotations as well. So I just think it's about balance and, and, and mm -hmm. about trying to, yeah, just trying to teach um, to teach that balance as well. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the kind of super wealthy in Hong Kong as well, because when we spoke about this before, you were mentioning that there's, there's huge wealth gaps in Hong Kong between the, the poor and, and the rich, essentially. Um, how does that factor into the planning process? Um, and also, I'm going to ask you two questions at once, which everyone really appreciates. Um, <laughs> can, you, um, can you actually service um, poorer parts of society? You know, we have the advice gap in the UK uh, where people can't access or afford advice. I'm assuming you've got the same in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that to a certain extent, that is where the insurance products that we were talking about before, these insurance linked investment products can serve a purpose because it does give somebody that maybe doesn't have the financial means the capacity to at least be doing something which brings a bit of protection and a little bit of, you know, a saving element to what they are doing um you know do they get access to some of the more sophisticated resources well unfortunately probably not i do think that there is the rise of some fintech businesses in hong kong or quite a lot of them you know it is a competitive market space and i think there are people trying to bring that model um to the markets but because our business predominantly focuses as i said on the expat market well hong kong is quite an expensive place to live so that's not really something that we encounter directly ourselves i think mm -hmm. our, our our sweet spot is probably the gap where clients are getting a bit too big for the retail banks but are not getting a service from the private banks and if the, as the private banks are increasing their minimums that these clients are you know wealthy clients i guess aren't getting any service and it's it's mm -hmm. quite bizarre um really how many of those there are is there education or or outreach to those communities that don't necessarily have access to those types of products or services and um, how how have you seen you know, Hong Kong trying to fill that gap? Yeah, no, there is a resource. There's one called the Chin Family um, and that's got some really good sort of basic educational resources. Um, to be honest, I'm not too sure about grassroots level at schools because mm -hmm. that's just not something that we would have the capacity to get involved in because we don't speak, um, you know, Cantonese. But I think I, I, I am aware of things, you know, like the Chin Family and other educational resources that do exist. But I think that the primary way of people being engaged consumers being engaged is probably by insurance agents in reality and on the the fintech side of things um you mentioned there's there's it's a competitive space now we've seen that in the us and ian um covers it in the uk as well is what are some of the hallmarks of the best ones and which ones are you seeing that are really adding value in this in this time I don't think as yet we're really seeing anybody that is penetrating the market to any great extent. Um, you may have seen recently that the firm Sophie or Sophie, I don't know how you pronounce it, from um, California, uh, they acquired a firm that was in Hong Kong called Eight Securities. And of course, they've got deep pockets. They've got some, you know, tech bigwigs um, behind them. And I, and I imagine that that will actually... Um, you know, have more of an impact. But certainly in the space that we are, um, that we're in, we're, we're, we're not feeling any sort of, um, we're not feeling squashed in any way with the advent of, 
um, technology. Mm-hmm. And just uh, speaking of the, the market and the size you know, that it would be for people to actually step in and start providing solutions. I mean, how many planning based financial advice companies are there in Hong Kong? Well, we're one of, I think, five or six fee-based firms, and all of us are quite small companies in reality. You know, we are five advisors. We've got two more joining us. Um, A lot of them will be three or four advisor um, firms, obviously, with additional support staff and and back office staff as well. Um, But we're not talking advice firms of, you know, hundreds of advisors. The biggest one in our market as a direct comparison um, would probably be St. James's Place, who I think now have 50 or 60 um, advisors, and they're delivering a, you know, a very similar model um, to the model that they deliver in the UK. Uh, but I don't think that that necessarily competes with something that is in, as in-depth as uh, you know, life-centered financial planning. So Simon, we are unfortunately running out of time now, but as you heard in Sam Instone's podcast, you have one final parting shot. So what is one piece of advice you would pass on to advisors around the world? I think that all advice should be life-centered financial planning advice, because as soon as you put the client's life at the center of the conversation, they are engaged. And the amount of value that you can deliver to clients then in that situation is significantly um, improved. And ultimately that means winning relationships, that means more profitable clients, and it means a sustainable and profitable um, business model as well so it's uh you know it's 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 a win-win it's a win for clients and it's a win for um advice firms as well Mm -hmm. that was very well put on that note um simon thank you for joining us for advice around the world thanks for having me and thank you all for listening and tune in next week where ian and i head to new zealand